All right, let's look in Luke chapter 15 this morning. Luke chapter 15. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 15. I'm sorry, not 15, 14. One chapter behind or one chapter prior. Luke chapter 14. All right. And then we're going to start reading about verse 25, and I think we'll read to the end of the chapter this morning. The Bible says, Luke 14, verse 25, it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply, after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth, whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, have lost its, his savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, but, man, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. All right, Lord, we thank you, God, for your goodness to us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for an opportunity, Lord, to be here in this place this morning designated to your worship. God, designated to the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of your word. And God, we pray, Lord, again this morning that you would move among us. Lord, we thank you, God, for being present during the Sunday school hour. Lord, we thank you for working, Lord, and we pray, God, again, that you would do that here this morning during this time, God, that's set apart, God, for preaching. And we pray, God, that you'd minister to the hearts of your people. God, Lord, these are thy people. Lord, they need something from you. And God, we pray that, Lord, you'd do what you have done so faithfully, God, throughout the years, God, through throughout many, many years, God, not just the years of our lives, but, God, the years through the church, God, Lord, and beyond the church, Lord, formerly, Lord, you've dealt with men on a repeated basis. God, we thank you for that. God, thank you for being so faithful. And God, we pray this morning that you'd be faithful again this morning. God, pray that you'd show yourself one more time today. And God, help us, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, the Bible says here in verse 28, it says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first? And counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to pay it, lest happily after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that be behold it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Uh, you know, I, I don't know of anybody in here that's tried to ever build a tower. You may have, and I just don't know about it. But if you've ever tried to build something, you know that it's very expensive. I have often thought about building myself a house. My dad, when we lived out there on Mid River Road, he built a, built a little house. It was 1,000 square feet. I think it was something like 25 by 25. I don't know what that equates to, uh, but it was pretty expensive. I won't tell you exactly how much it was. It wasn't, you know, 120,000, which this day is chump change as far as a house is concerned, unfortunately. Uh, but it was pretty expensive, you know, especially when you're 12 years old. Anything with four zeros behind it got to be very expensive. 
Uh, so anyways, uh, but he, the Lord's talking about the cost of a particular thing in this passage. And, you know, whenever you get ready to spend money, this is not a message about finances this morning. I just want to try to get your mind thinking about something this morning. Uh, whenever you get to spend money, I recommend thinking about what you're going to spend money on. And one of the things what I mean is when you spend money on something, consider whether it's really worth what you're getting ready to pay for it. Listen, I'm not, again, I'm not preaching against you buying a new vehicle, but I have, it has always irked my nerves, man, it grates my nerves to think about how much a new vehicle costs, man. And as soon as you drive it off the lot, it, it decreases, I don't know, something like 25, 30%. Man, that, that really, man, it just irks me. Uh, so anyways, I just, you have to consider, you, you really have to consider. And some of that is relative. Some of that is how, how, how much it's worth to you. A realtor told my daddy one time, they said, you, you know, my dad was saying, how much, how much is this house worth? And this realtor, she's a pretty sharp realtor. She said, a house is worth what somebody's willing to pay for it. And that really is true. That's how economics in America works. But having said all of that, what I'm trying to drive out this morning is whenever you get ready to do something, particularly buying something, you have to sit down and consider, is it really worth that much? That's why when you go to Walmart, you feel like you're in heaven because you see all this stuff and it's $1.99, $5.99, and you think, man, this is such a great value. And then you take it home because it's made in China and it breaks in two days. And then you say, well, man, this is not such a wonderful value. Uh, well, see, what you failed to do was you failed to pick up the product and look on the underside and it said China. It's not really worth $5.99. I would love to spend some time there and preach against China this morning. You come back maybe some other time and we'll do that. But what I'm talking about is the value of things. The value of things. Uh, what's it going to cost? How much is this really going to cost me? And so the Lord says here, he says, for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first. You don't just go out and start putting things together when you build a tower. You don't start building things first without first sitting down and having a plan. And listen, the purpose of a plan is not just so that you know what block goes where or what two by 12 goes there. That is not just the purpose. The purpose is to be able to sit down and look at your plan and say, Two by twelves cost three hundred dollars a piece now, and you know a piece of plywood costs one hundred and thirty dollars a piece. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it it really is ridiculous how much things cost. The purpose is so that you can sit down and look at things and say, "Man, I'm not sure that I really have enough to be able to see this project all the way through. I'll save a little bit more money and we'll go through with it." Well, what he's talking about here in the passage is not trying to get you to stop. He's not trying to get you to stop doing something before you start. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get you to think about what it's going to cost you to do a particular thing, to be a particular way before you get started. And that thing that he's talking about is being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Stop. But I wonder if I could ask for a show of hands this morning. I'm not going to do it. Please don't raise your hand. But I wonder if I could get you to, to, if I could ask for a show of hands, how many of you really consider yourself to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Don't raise your hand. I'm just trying to get you to think this morning. If I could ask you, do you really identify yourself as a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? I wonder how many folks would really raise their hand. If you say, well, man, I would really like to be 
a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, then let me address this to you this morning. There's a high price. It's a, there's a high price. It's a very expensive life to live. It's a very expensive life to live. Now listen, you say, well, Brother Nathan, that's kind of discouraging. Well, don't be too discouraged because you should be discouraged more with the price of living a life of sin. Listen to me. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Listen, if you live a life of self-centeredness and a life of wickedness and iniquity, the only thing you're going to get out of that is death. The more you give yourself to it, the faster you're going to get there. But the Bible says, listen, the Bible says in the book of Galatians chapter 6 that he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. There it is. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life. 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 Everlasting. Paul said in 1 Timothy, he said, Godliness not only has a promise of the life that now is, but of the life that is to come. See, this life of being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is not only something that you get in, in this life, but it's also something in the life to come. It's not salvation. I hope you understand this morning. This morning I'm not preaching to you if you're lost, but if you are lost here this morning, you don't get saved by being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You get saved by accepting the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not following something that he told you to do. It's by trusting him. But after you do, after you trust him, after you uh, are born again, now there is a life of discipleship that comes along with that life. And boy, I'm telling you, it's a very, very expensive thing to be engaged in. It's wonderful. It's a great life. I wouldn't trade it for the world, but it's, it's a very expensive life. You should sit down first before you do it and consider how expensive it really is. What's it going to cost me? It will cost you something. It will cost you something. Here in verse 25, he says, And there went great multitudes with him. This is Luke 14, 25. There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he, sh he cannot be my disciple. It's very peculiar to me that in verse 25, you know, the Lord often waits until the multitudes are amassed behind him before he says something real cutting. The Lord always, it's like he lets the membership of his church build up. I'm talking about during the, his earthly ministry. He waits till the membership of the church builds up to a big congregation. And then he says something that makes about three quarters of them upset or mad. Or he says something that they don't understand. That, that happens over and over again. And a lot of them, they just get upset or get disillusioned and they just walk away and they don't ever come back. Some of them did. And we'll deal with one of those, Lord, uh, Lord willing, later this morning here in just a little bit. But he often says these things. He's often done this. He waits until all these folks get around and then he says something and it just kind of cuts them out. And I believe with all of my heart, I know the reason that he does that is because what the Lord's looking for is not just numbers. The Lord's looking for quality of people. And I, I didn't say quality people. I said he's looking for quality of people. What, you say, well, what do you mean in differentiating between those two things? Well, if you say quality people, that would, that would cut out the idea of whosoever will. What I mean is, listen, I don't care who you are this morning. If you are born again, now if you're not born again, we've got to talk to you about that. 
You come back tonight, Lord willing, we'll deal with that. Maybe I, we'll see how the services turn out this evening. But anyways, all I'm saying is uh, if you're not saved, then there's not much that we can say to you about discipleship. But if you're saved, the Lord wants to make a disciple out of you. It's whosoever will. But what the Lord's looking for is the Lord's not just looking for you to just gather up behind him and just be one more body in the crowd. The Lord is trying to make you personally a disciple. Brother Nathan, I believe the Lord wants us all to be disciples. Yes, but I'm preaching to you this morning. The Lord wants to deal with you this morning. The Lord wants you to be a disciple. And the question to you this morning is, are you? Are you? Are you a disciple? In John chapter 6, hold your place right there in Luke 14. Let's look very quickly. John chapter 6. I don't want to tarry a whole a very long while this morning. I'm all confused by this clock that's not telling me the right time. But anyways, John chapter 6. This particular situation happens in John chapter 6. The Lord has got a group of folks behind him. And the Lord says here in John chapter 6 in verse, oh, look in verse let me see where I'm at here. <clears throat> verse 26, the Bible said, Jesus, there's a crowd that's gathered behind him. And it says in verse 26 of John chapter 6, Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Did you know a lot of folks, that's the reason that they follow the Lord? They, they follow the Lord because they ate of the loaves and they were filled. And I will say, I'm very thankful for the provision that God gives to me. I really am. But, you know, I really want my life to be a little bit deeper than that. I, I don't tie entirely kick out the idea of following the Lord because, like I said this morning, where he leads me, I will follow, and what he feeds me, I will swallow. I don't entirely kick that out, but I really would like for my life to be a little bit less shallow than that. I'd like for it to go a little bit deeper than that. And some folks, that's as deep as their life with Christ goes. The Lord makes me feel so good. The Lord does this for me and the Lord does that for me. Hey, that's great because he does. The Bible says in the book of Psalms, the Lord daily loadeth us with benefits. Does he not? Man, sure he does. But I'd like for my life to go a little bit deeper than that. Look at verse 60. The Lord said something here in John chapter 6 to these folks about the fact he gives his discourse on the fact that he is the bread of life. And in verse 60, he says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can, who can hear it? The Lord says things that are hard saying sometimes. And it has that same effect. Folks look around and say, Man, this is pretty hard. Who can hear this? And you know what they did? Verse 61, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, his disciples murmured at it. That's his closest followers. He said unto them, doth this offend you? What and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before? It's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed him not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto, thee, unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. Now look at verse 66. From that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. A lot of times the Lord says things and what he's really trying to do is he's trying to draw a line in the sand to, to get you to see, to get you to see which side of the line you're on. And I don't know of a better way for him to do that than for him to talk to you. To say things to you. Doesn't the Bible say in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that the word of God is quick? It's alive. It's a living thing. 
It never fails. It always seems like any time I get into any particular situation, the Bible always has something to say to me about what I'm dealing with. Always. You say, why is that? It's a living book. It's quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. A, a sword doesn't put things together. It puts things apart. And that's what it does with people. Oftentimes, the Lord will say something, and what he's trying to do is he's trying to draw a line in the sand to get you to see whether or not you're really a disciple, his disciple. I remember the Pharisees told him one time they were dealing with this fellow who Jesus healed. I believe he was either lame or he's blind. I think he was lame, like he couldn't walk. Not he had lame jokes, but he couldn't walk. And they, you know, they said, uh, they said, you know, how did this, how did this man, Jesus, they was talking about the Pharisees said, how did this man heal you? And he said, I told you already. He said, if I told you again, would you believe him? Would you become his disciples? They said, they looked at that fellow and they said, you're his disciple. We're Moses's disciples. Yeah, right. But that's the way people look at it. The folks down at Corinth, they said, well, I follow. Some of them said, I follow Peter. Some of them said, I follow Apollos. And some of them said, I follow Paul. And some of them were super spiritual and they said, we don't follow no man. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know what the Lord will often do is he'll put a line in the sand and he'll show you who you're really following. Yeah. And the thing is, is that if you're going to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a price tag associated with that. Yeah. It's a high price. It's a very high price. The Lord's always thinning out the crowd. It's as, if it, it's as if the Lord wants you to understand that following the Lord is not a popularity contest. You know where you find Jesus? You don't find lots of people. Some people go through this life and the way that they make their decisions in life is based on how many people agree with that decision or they agree with that notion. Do you realize when it comes to dealing with God, you don't determine what's right by counting heads. Because oftentimes who the Lord has dealt with, I'm not happy about this. I don't rejoice in this fact, but it's just a simple fact of history. It's a simple fact of history. Who the Lord often has dealt with is a small slither of the pie. It's a, it's a small section of people. It's the remnant. It's the leftovers because those are the folks who really believe him. God is not always involved with the masses. He wants to be. It's not of his doing. It's not that God doesn't want to be involved with the masses, but the masses don't want to be involved with God. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, sir, that's the way it's always been. And so when you start dealing with the Lord in the matter of discipleship, you've got to understand, and the Lord wants you to understand, this is not a matter of a popularity contest. Well, you know, so-and-so, they're so wonderful, and they have this and they have that. I mean, they must be right with God. Well, that's not necessarily the case. Yes, sir. If you become a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're not going to do it because everybody else is doing it. You're not, because there's not a whole lot of folks that are. You know what a lot of Christians are waiting for before they sell out to God, lock, stock, and barrel? They're waiting on somebody else to sell out. And because you're waiting, you never will. I mean that. You never will. Because the person that you're waiting on, they're not going to do it. You say, oh, no, I believe with all my heart they will. Well, let's say that they do. How much time will you have wasted? 
Can you, can you just get honest with yourself and say the reason that you don't want to sell out to God lock, stock, and barrel is because you just don't want to? Just be honest with God about the thing. Just be straight with the Lord about the thing. I believe the Lord would honor that much more. See, when the Lord came, he came with a purpose in mind. It's true. The Bible says in the book of Luke, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. It's true. But the Lord also came with the intent of making disciples. Yes, he did. He came with the purpose of to take men who would believe on him, believe on his name, who would trust him, and to teach them how to become a peculiar people. You ever looked at somebody and said, boy, that fellow's very peculiar. What you probably meant by that statement was, that's a strange fellow. That's a strange lady. I've met a lot of those around this area. Boy, there's a lot of strange people. I mean, somebody that let 500 cats into their house, but they got animosity towards an individual. I don't understand that. Uh, uh, hey, man, we could preach about that for a long time. That's called unnatural affection, by the way. <clears throat> you turn your house into a zoo, but you... Uh, mad at your next door neighbor. Something ain't right about that. You need to get right with the Lord. You probably need to get saved. You're an animal lover. You like animals. My, my daughter, she loves animals. And I, I don't throw a whole lot of stones at her, but we try to reemphasize her to her on a regular basis. They're animals. I, I told her, I, I told her, I said, boy, when my dogs die, I, that, that dog, Dixie, she is dumber than a barrel of hammers. And I said, when she dies, I'm probably going to cry my eyes out. You say, well, you get attached to animals like that but they're just animals. They're just animals. And you got you to remember that. Amen. I don't know where that came from because that was not in the notes, but that's true. Get saved if you love animals more than you love people. <laughs> Jesus died for people, not doggies. Oh, boy. Here we go. I'm running a rabbit. I did so well up until this point. Did you know that doggies do not go to heaven? If there ain't no doggies in heaven, I don't want to go to heaven. Then go to hell. You know what the Bible says in the book of Revelation? Dogs are without. Amen. Amen. Anyways, that kind of rocked the boat in here a little bit, but it's true. It's true. We love, we love people. But anyways, let's get back to this sermon. That was sermon number two. We might come across a third one in here somewhere, but let's get back to sermon number one. Yes, sir, the Lord wants to make disciples. He wants to take folks that trusted him, and he wants to teach them how to become a peculiar people. Peculiar, that word means it, it's somebody that has characteristics that belong to a certain person. This Bible is peculiar. It's peculiar. It's peculiar in two ways. Number one, it's peculiar in that it's God's book. This is not man's book. It's peculiar. It has characteristics about it that are distinctive solely to the Lord. But you know, when you open this Bible, you see there's some notes written right there. I got some notes somewhere else in here. There's some notes there. You know what that means? That's a, that's a peculiar Bible. It's mine. It's got my handwriting. It's got my name in the front somewhere. It's mine. It's peculiar to me. Well, the Lord, what he wants to do is he wants to make a peculiar people out of us. You say, what is that? That's a people who have characteristics that belong to, him, to himself. When somebody looks at you, what the Lord's looking for is he wants them to be able to look at you and say, there's something about you that reminds me of a man that lived 2,000 years ago named Jesus. There's something a little bit different about you. You're not like all these other people that are out in the world. 
Something different about the way that you talk. There's something different about your attitude. You've got joy in a way that, you know, other people don't really have. It seems like you've got peace in your heart. It seems like you've got power about your life. Well, what the Lord's wanting to do is he's wanting to take every single one of you sitting here this morning and make you a peculiar people. That's called discipleship. It's called making disciples. Yes, sir. You know, the Bible says in the book of Acts, it says, uh, you remember, I hope you remember throughout the book of Acts down in Jerusalem, there, that was where the apostles went through and they started preaching. But those apostles couldn't stay in Jerusalem for very long because persecution arose and they began to run. They began to leave Jerusalem. And some of them went to a place called Antioch and they started a church right there. And the Bible says right there in Antioch is where the disciples the disciples were first called Christians. That's where they were called Christians first. It was down there at Antioch. So the idea of a carnal Christian is really a misnomer. The idea of, and I've said it myself, but it's really, it's a contradiction of terms. There is no such thing. There's carnal saved people, but there is no such thing as a carnal Christian. It's true. That's true. Yes, sir. Let me say this about disciples. Disciples are not made without cooperation. Did you know that the Lord doesn't have some magic wand that he's going to bring out and wave over you and make you a disciple? It requires cooperation. You'll have to cooperate with it. What that means is that you're going to have to put some effort forth. You'll have to make some commitments and you're going to have to make some sacrifices if you want to be a disciple. Now listen, when it comes to salvation, we preach you have to be saved. You must be born again. Is that, not, is that not what the Lord said in John chapter 3 to Nicodemus? You must be born again. But that doesn't mean we're going to pull out a 45 and put it to your head and say, if you don't get saved, I'm going to blow your brains out. That's not what that means. We mean you must be born again. And he says in John chapter 3, you must be born again if you want to enter into the kingdom of God. Hey, if you want this life of peace, if you want a relationship with God in heaven, the only way you can get it is through Jesus Christ. So, well, I don't want any of that. Okay, then you'll die in your sins and you'll go to hell. But see, that's what we mean when we say you must be born again. You must be born again. Well, when we talk about you, you really, you need to be a disciple. You must be a disciple. So, well, I don't want to be a disciple. Well, there's some things that are attached to that. There's some things on the other side of that discipleship that you could access, that you could have if you were a disciple. You say, well, I don't want any of those things. Okay, then just do things your way and then die at the end of the road and go to heaven and stand before the Lord flat-footed and bare stark naked with nothing to show for your life. It really, it really is up to you. But I can tell you as a preacher, as just a preacher of the gospel, as a preacher of God's word, and as your pastor, I don't want to see that for you. I want to see you stand before the Lord with plenty to show for your life. Lord, I didn't waste my time. Lord, I wasn't sitting around doing nothing. Here's what I did. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, how do I get to that place? Discipleship. It's through discipleship. It's through becoming a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really only have one point for you this morning. And I, if I could get this across to you, I think I will have done a lot this morning. I think the Lord will have helped us this morning. Look at what he says here in verse 25. Let's read it one more time. There went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife 
and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. You say, that couldn't possibly be, be what he really meant. Well, that's what he said. I don't see him stuttering in that passage. That's what he meant. He said, Brother Nathan, you're telling me the Lord wants me to hate all of these people in the verse? Well, let's take the Bible and let's show what it means when he says to hate somebody. Look over in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 29. It would be very easy to look in Luke 14 and read that passage and say, no, no, that couldn't possibly be right. We've got to go back to the original languages and figure out what that means. No, all you need is a King James Bible and just to read it and believe it. And God will show you exactly what he means. Look in Genesis chapter 29. Genesis chapter 29. And look here in verse 30. Now, this is the situation to where a man who was out of his mind married more than one woman. That's, that's bad. That's, that, that is... That, Oh, my soul. That's a bad idea. Can I just say that? And it's not, listen, it's not because these ladies were bad ladies. They may have been, but boy, one wife keep you busy enough, won't she? Amen. Amen. And that's not a slam against ladies. It's just a fact of life. And could you imagine, ladies, trying to share your husband with another woman? No, I, I don't think we even need to entertain that thought too far. But that's exactly what's going on in this situation. Genesis 29, and look in verse 30. The Bible said, And he went in also unto Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah, and served with him yet seven other years. Now, the Bible said that he loved Rachel more. He's already been given Leah, which is Rachel's oldest sister. Jacob served Rachel's daddy Laban. He served Laban for Rachel seven years, and he was given Leah. He got the raw end of a deal. He didn't get what he bargained for. He got twice as much. Uh, but anyways, he gets Leah, and he says, I'll tell you what. He says, I'll serve you another seven years for Rachel. And so the Bible says that this fellow gave Jacob, Laban gave Jacob not only Leah, but for another seven years gave him Rachel. And the Bible said when he got both of those women, he loved Rachel more than Leah. That's preferential treatment if you didn't know. He loved him. He loved her more. Now look at what the next verse says. And when the Lord saw that Leah was what? So there's the definition of the term. There's one definition of the term hate. That is to look at something and hold it up next to something else and say, I love this thing more than this one. Then the Bible says this is what's hated. Now, having, having that in your mind, you can turn back to Luke 14, and let me, let me point this out to you. The Bible says no man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is material things. It's money, if you will. Although the Bible doesn't say that money is the root of all evil, it says the love of money is the root of all evil. But you can't serve both of those things. Because it says he'll either hold to the one and what? Hate the other. So what it is, is it's taking something and holding up next to another thing and saying, I love this more. And the Lord says, well, that's the thing that you hate. So the Bible says here in Luke 14, verse 26, if any man come to me and hate, hate not. In other words, what's required for you to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ is you have to hate these people listed in the verse. Oh, that's so bad. That's so horrible. Well, you're in there too. It's not being narrow-minded. The Lord is not telling you to be a jerk. What he's saying is there can't be anything in this life that you love more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Nothing. 
Not your mother. Not your daddy. Not your wife. That cuts deep. Oh, Brother Nathan, I love my wife. If you love her more than you love Jesus, you're not a disciple. You can't love your children. You can't love your brothers and sisters. I dare say you can't love. Listen, I dare say that you cannot love your brothers and sisters in Christ more than you love Jesus Christ. You know, there were many fellows that came to the Lord in his earthly ministry. They recognized that the Lord, there was something distinct about this fellow. And I use that term reverently because it's Jesus Christ. Something very strange about this man. And they came to him and they said, hey, they said, you tell us. What's the greatest commandment? Out of all the commandments that Moses gave to us, what's the greatest commandment? And the Lord said, that's easy. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second's like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. You know what a lot of folks will do? They'll put, across, they'll put away the first commandment and they'll embrace the second. What you've got at that point is really, it's really humanism. Everything works together for the benefit and happiness of man. Well, that, that is not what we believe as Christians. See, this Christian doctrine that we've embraced when we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, this is something much greater, it's much deeper. What it does is it puts us right with God. But what happens is folks get saved, they get put right with God, and then they immediately put the ideology of Christianity into the trash can, and they move on and say, well, let's just live life the way that we've always lived it. No, 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 no. It, it totally changes the way that you look at everything. It changes your whole life, changes your outlook. God's first before, he's, before anything. Before your own kin and kith, before your own blood, before your own flesh and blood, God comes first. Before your job, huh? before your preferences, before, you, before you know, what somebody else, God comes first. You say, well, I just, you know, there's some things. Let me put it to you like this. Let me put it, let me take what the scripture says and put it to you like this. Is there anything in your life right now that you can hold up next to Jesus Christ? And the Lord say, do you love that more than you love me? And it would cause you to hesitate and say, hmm. Is there anything? 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 Well, then what that is, is that's a hindrance in your discipleship. That is something that's going to be a hindrance for the rest of your life until you're willing to get it right. Yeah. See, we're not preaching... I, be very clear, we're not preaching about church attendance this morning or tithing or, you know, you should do this or that. What we're talking about is, do you love him? It's easier. It's easier to preach about tithing. It's easier to preach about you should be in church every service. That's easy. What's the real challenge is when you start getting down into the heart of man and saying, do you love him? Is there anything that you love more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ? Mm, well, <laughs> Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Look, look with me, if you will, in John 21. John 21. Look in John chapter 21. You say, Brother Nathan, why? I'm going to get back to Luke 14. I don't want to lose my place here. You say, well, if, if what the Lord meant in Luke chapter 14 is simply 
is there anything that you love more than you love me? If that's what he meant, why, why would he not just put it in those words? Well, let me ask you something. How many people could you go to who say that they're saved? And, you know, there's a lot of folks that say that they're saved that they're not. I don't really spend a whole lot of time picking folks apart, although I do make judgment calls because the Bible says, by your fruits ye shall know them. But I don't spend a whole lot of time analyzing people's lives and saying, oh, no, they're not saved. Oh, no, they couldn't possibly. Oh, yeah, they're saved. I don't spend a whole lot of time doing that. But there are folks that say that they're saved, and, and they might or might not be. But if you went to them and said, hey, do you love the Lord? How many of them do you know would say, oh, yes, I love the Lord? Man, there's tons of folks that would do that. You could go to the average church this morning to where people are drinking beer inside the auditorium and say, do you love Jesus? Oh, yes, I love Jesus. But let's ask them, ask them this question. Is there anything that you love more than you love Jesus Christ? That is a different question altogether. It's the same question, but it prods a little bit deeper. It goes much deeper than just superficial. Do you know how easy it is to say, I love the Lord? But when you're presented with the facts of, do you love anything more than you love Him? Well, maybe I didn't love the Lord as much as I thought I did. And that's what He's talking about. That's what He's talking about in discipleship. That's what He's talking about in discipleship. The word discipleship, disciple, has its same roots as discipline, right? I discipline my children. And that's not always a whooping. That is not always a whooping. Discipline is having a standard and trying to get somebody to hold closely to a standard. You know why you do that? You do that because you love them. But you also do that because you want them to love you. A kid that's enamored with a, just a lawless lifestyle, I dare say they're going to have a hard time loving the people that's disciplined them. Amen. They're going to grow into rebellion against the hand that disciplines them. But what that mom and daddy's trying to do is not only show their love and show their affection towards the kid, hey, this is the right way to go. This is the way that you need to live. This is the way that things are supposed to work. That's not only love towards that kid, but what that is is an investment in that kid in hopes that later sometime, sooner rather than later, the hope is, is that that kid will say, man, these folks love me and they see what's best for me. Man, I really appreciate it. Some of you folks, you grew up, listen, you grew up with a mom and daddy that was hard as nails and you resented it the whole time you was growing up and now that they're dead and gone, you wish you could grab them around the neck and put a cheek, uh, kiss on their cheek and say, thank you. You say, what is that? That's the process of discipline. Somebody disciplined, somebody discipled you. They may not have discipled you to the Lord Jesus Christ, but they discipled you to a way of life. Well, what the Lord is doing, what God wants to do is he wants to disciple you to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's your standard. What some folks are enamored with is being discipled to a preacher. I'm not telling you not to admire a preacher. There's folks that have made investments in your life. You can appreciate them for that. You can follow them. I'm not telling you not to do that. But ultimately, well, you know, Brother Nathan, we, we follow Paul. We follow Paul. We follow Paul. You know who Paul followed? Jesus. He said, Brother Nathan, we follow this fellow and we follow this fellow. You know who those fellows are following? They're following Jesus. Do you love him? 
Yes, sir. Look here in John chapter 21. Look in John 21. John 21 is a very peculiar passage because here Peter goes back on his discipleship. It's really interesting. Uh, John 21, look in verse 1. The Bible says, After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples, those sons of Zebedee are uh, James and John. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. They say unto him, we also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. You know what got Peter to go back on his discipleship? Things didn't work out like he had expected they would. That's what got him to go back. I'm talking to you this morning. I'm trying to preach to you this morning about the price of discipleship. What got Peter to go back? The fact that the Lord told him, hey, I'm going up to Jerusalem to be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and I'm going to be crucified. I'll be buried, and three days later, I'll rise from the dead. And Peter said, far be it from thee, Lord. None of this is going to happen to you. He said, I'll lay down my life for your sake. And the Lord looked at Peter and said, Peter, before the night's over, you're going to, deliver, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. See what Peter, listen, let me tell you doctrinally, doctrinally. You know what Peter had in mind? Peter had in mind, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. You came to deliver Jerusalem. You came to deliver the Jews out of the hands of Rome. Peter had in mind national salvation. Peter didn't take into consideration we're sinners and we need individual salvation. So he had something on his mind that wasn't quite right. And when the Lord got there in the Garden of Gethsemane and these Judas came up to him and planted a kiss on his cheek and these fellows circled the Lord and put him in chains, Peter pulled out his sword whoosh, and cut somebody's ear off. And instead of meeting with, I had a boy, Peter, he met with Peter, Peter, put your sword away. This is, this is not the time. You, you don't understand what's really going on. Put your sword away. This stuff has to be in order for the scriptures to be fulfilled. Peter slide that sword back into his sheath and kind of drift off into the background. The Bible says all of his disciples forsook him and fled. And Peter's now in a position to where he's really disillusioned. I thought it was supposed to turn out this way. I thought this was the way that it was supposed to turn out and it didn't turn out. Now listen, at this point, John chapter 21, when he says, I go a fishing, the Lord has already appeared to his disciples in the upper room. Peter already knows that the Lord's resurrected and he's still disillusioned. He's not mad. Listen, Peter's not upset that Jesus is dead. He knows Jesus is alive. He's upset that things didn't turn out the way that he, that the way he thought they were supposed to. You know what will get folks to go back on their discipleship? things didn't turn out the way that I thought they were supposed to turn out. Yeah. Lord, I thought that this is what you said. I thought you said this in your word. Why ain't it turned out this way? Lord, I trusted Christ. How come I don't have peace in my heart? How come I don't have no joy? And what folks will do is they'll, they'll stare at that and stare at that and stare at that and stare at that. And eventually they'll get to a place where they say, this is just not right. I quit. I'm going back. And you know what? You know what's amazing to me? When Peter, when he quit, you've heard that term talked about Christians before. They quit. And what that usually means is, well, they got out of church or they did this, they did that. Although you could say Peter got out of the upper room. But I will say this, you know, when Peter quit, he didn't go back to a bar. Peter's married. He didn't run around on his wife. 
Peter didn't break into his neighbor's house and take something out of their yard. You know what Peter went back? You know what he did? He did what he used to do before the Lord called him into this life of discipleship. You know, there's a lot of folks, I bet, I bet there's some of you sitting in here this morning, you backslid and you cold on God, and the reason that you don't think you're backslid is because you're not drinking, and you're not being unfaithful to your spouse, and you're not stealing things, but you're not where you was as far as the discipleship's concerned. And because of that, that's really the place where you're at. That is proof of your backslidden condition. That's where Peter is. Well, I'm not doing what they're doing. Yeah, but are you as close to the Lord as you once were? Listen, the definition of backsliding, just think about the term. You're walking along, you get to a certain point, and then you slide back. Listen, if there's a place in your life that you can put your finger on and say, I was closer to the Lord right there than I am right now, what does that say? It says you're backslid. I'm talking about the price of discipleship this morning. Yes, sir. It's the price of discipleship. Well, I'm not drinking. I'm working for my family and I'm putting food in my family's mouth and I'm doing this. Yeah, but do you love the Lord like you did at one time? Is there ever been a time in your life where you love him more than you where you loved him more than you love him right now? Yes, sir. <clears throat> look, in, look in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, you been on church visitation? Is that what he said? It's not what he said. Simon, son of Jonas, have you read your Bible today? I, I preach on that often because it's right, but that's not what he asked him. Simon, son of Jonas, have you prayed today? Did you give some money to the... That's not what he said. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? You know what's sitting around Peter and the Lord right there? It's a bunch of fish. Listen, they get out here and... John 21, and they get out and they fish all night and they don't catch anything. And somebody stands up on the shore and they don't recognize him. And he says, children, have you any meat? And they said, no. And he says, cast your nets on the right side. Throw them on the right side. And there's so many fish that another boat had to come out there and help them pull it in. And Peter looks up and he says, I know who that is. And he jumps out of that boat and he swims to shore. And by the time he gets up to the shore, those other boats, I guess Peter was swimming real slow. By the time he gets up to the shore, those other boats are coming up there on the shore. And the Lord looks at him and says, bring of the fish which ye have caught. They get up there. Listen, they get up there. And when they get up there, the Lord has some fish already there on a fire of coals. You know where you find that statement, a fire of coals? You know where else you find that statement? You find it out there where the Lord's denying that he even knows the Lord. Where those maidens are that says, you got to be this fella that's with him. In one of the Gospels it says, Peter gathered himself around a fire of coals. And right here in John 21, you find the same exact statement. And the Lord's got a bunch of fish on those fire of coals. And he looks at the Lord and he says, Simon, you love me more than you love these.
Boy, you want to talk about some examination. And I believe Peter, I believe Peter knew what was going on, and I believe Peter meant every word of what he was saying. Yes, sir, Lord, I love you. You know what he told him? He said, feed my lambs. Sit there for quite a little bit, a little lull in the conversation. He, Lord looked back at Peter. Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Lord, you know. You know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. A little lull in the conversation. I wonder what them other disciples were saying. You reckon they were saying much? I bet people was quiet. You know, you know when God starts dealing with folks, the rest of the folks get real quiet. Now is not the time to talk. Now is not the time to go pee. Right? <laughs> I just use a little bit of an illustration there because it's true. Uh, things get real quiet. And the Lord looks at Simon Peter the third time and he says, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Peter by that time gets exasperated and he says, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. And he says, feed my sheep. You say, what is that? That's a situation of examination. That's a situation to where the Lord is not only putting Peter in a place of examination to where the Lord's scrutinizing him, but he's forcing Peter to scrutinize himself. You know, a lot of times folks get into a situation to where they're really kind of out of touch with their own purpose. And I don't mean their own purpose, what they want to do. I'm talking about the purpose for which God has ordained you. Did you know that God didn't save you to be a businessman? God didn't save you to make money. Hey, listen, I've said it before, and I think I meet with resistance sometimes. I don't really know, but I suspect that I meet with resistance because when I say things like God didn't save you to necessarily take care of your family, people have it in their minds. Oh, no, we're supposed to take care of your family. Absolutely. If a man doesn't provide for his own, he's worse than an infidel. But God didn't save you to do those things. God saved you to be a disciple. Providing for your family is something that you do while you are a disciple because that's what a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ would do. Let me just throw this in here, having said that. Was Peter married? Peter was married. His mother-in-law was healed. His wife's mother was healed. He had a wife. Peter was married. He was not the first pope, by the way. In the three years that Jesus was there during his earthly ministry, how many times do you read about Peter's wife? Do you ever read about his kids? You know what a lot of folks have done? What a lot of Christians have done? They have dedicated their lives. I'm talking about folks right here in this church, right here in this county, right here in this state. They've dedicated their lives to their family because they got hooked up with Michael Pearl thinking that if I take care of my family, God's going to really bless me for that. And when you open a book of a record that God writes about what these people did that honored God, you don't read but one time about what Peter did for his wife. And that was getting his wife's mother healed. That's the only thing you ever read about his wife. You say, Brother Nathan, you're saying that have, being married is not important. It's not as important as Jesus. Amen. You say, well, I just disagree. Then you have to be wrong. Because that's not a principle that I set out in the scripture. God set that up. Lovest thou me more than these? Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Let me find my place here. Peter goes back on his discipleship. Let me, let me find a landing place here. I've got my place here. Peter goes back on his discipleship. And you know how the Lord gets him back to the place of being a disciple? He doesn't come to him with a list and say, make sure you read your Bible. Make sure you pray. And make sure you do this and make sure you do that. You know what he says? He gives him three questions. Lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? Lovest thou me more than these? You say, but Brother Nathan, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. One question. Lovest thou the Lord more than... And you fill in the blank with whatever you need to fill it in to, with. If there's anything that you love in this life more than you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you, you're not where you need to be as far as a disciple of the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ. You say, but what about all this other stuff that needs to be done? That's true. There's plenty that needs to be done. But the church at Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2, the Lord comes to him and says, hey, you guys have done a great job. He said, you guys have come through and he said, you've examined these people that say that they're apostles. You've examined them and found that they aren't. He said, good job. I commend you for it. I'm paraphrasing. But he said, I've got one thing against you nonetheless. He said, and it's that you've left your first love. Brother Nathan, I mean, you know, we're doing this and I'm doing this and I'm not letting my kids do this and I'm trying to lead my wife right and I'm trying to, you know, have a good influence in my home as a wife. Do you love him? And is there anything in this life that you love more than you love Jesus Christ? If you don't, if there's something, then you're not where you need to be as far as a disciple. Listen, there's a lot of messages that I've preached. There's a lot of things that I've said in my couple of years being here as a pastor. But I'm telling you this morning, if I can get anything across to you during my tenure as a pastor, it's this, what I'm telling you this morning. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ, you can do what you do out of a sense of duty and do it out of a sense of responsibility. And I'm not going to entirely knock those things. I'm not going to say that you should quit doing those things. But I'm telling you, the reason that some of you struggle so hard with doing what is your duty, what is your responsibility, is because you have so many other competing loves. And until you deal with those things, you are never going to be the disciple that you need to be. God saved your soul, every single one of you, to be a disciple. And until you can get that question of what you love solved, you're not going to account for much as far as a disciple. I didn't say you couldn't be saved. We're not saved because we love the Lord. We're saved because he loved us. And we believed on his name. That's right. But you have to be a Christian. And the only way that you can be that is if you love the Lord. That's the only way. That's the only way. Did you know that what you love has a great influence on you? Yeah. Listen, you show me what a, man in, what a man is influenced by, and I'll show you what he loves more than he loves anything. That's right. Yes, sir. I could slip up tomorrow. Listen, I could slip up tomorrow. God be merciful to me, a fool. <laughs> My kids asked me the other day, I think somebody cussed or they heard a cuss word somewhere or was talking about folks that cuss and I just made this statement to him brother Curtis I said you know I worked out at the prison for 10 years 
And I heard some of the most vile filth, not just come out of men's mouths, out of ladies' mouths. And do you know how many times cuss words would come across my mind? Praise be to God. It never came out of my mouth. Thank God. I want to make sure you understand. Thanks be to God. But I believe there's another reason why it didn't come out of my mouth. Because I don't love that stuff. I don't love it. I love the Lord. Maybe I don't love Him as much as I should, but I love the Lord. And I don't love those things because I know it brings dishonor to Him. See, what I'm talking about is a root that bears fruit. Why is my life not bringing out this fruit that I know should be there? I hear the preacher preaching, and I don't see the fruit coming out in my life. It's because your root, the axe has been laid to the root of the tree. You're trying to get this root, this fruit to pop out on the branches, but your root's been severed. What is it? It's your love for the Lord Jesus Christ. There's other things. And it's not that somebody's came to you and said, don't love Jesus. It's that the devil and your flesh and the world has thrown something up there and said, how about loving this? And you said, yeah, that looks like it's lovely. And you went hook, line, and sinker right after it, lock, stock, and barrel. And listen, what you love is what you've begun to dedicate your life to. I'm telling you, listen to me, listen to me. It is so, I was going to say easy. It's much easier to dedicate yourself to somebody that you love. You know why, some of you fellas, it's not a challenge to you to come home to your wife every day as much as she nags and complains and whines. No, Brother Nathan, my wife doesn't do that. Mine doesn't either but I just figured it was good preaching. You know why it's easy for you to come home? Because you love her. I got to go home to my old ball and chain. It's because you don't love her. I've never referred to my wife as my old lady. You say, why? Because I enjoy being around her. I love her. I got to go to church. That'll change when you begin to love the Lord. Yes, sir. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Listen, if you need to come this morning, why don't you come? Why don't you come do business with God? Do you love him? Do you love the Lord this morning? You know what it's going to cost you to be a disciple? It's going to cost you everything. Everything. It'll cost you everything. And I could ask you one question as a form of invitation this morning. Isn't he worth it? Is he not worth it? Is he not worth loving Is he not worth giving up everything for? Listen, the Lord Jesus Christ gave up everything for you. He gave up everything for you. He's worth loving. He's worth loving.